Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a 512 Friday edition of Ball Don't Lie. That's when Patrick the Idillionaire, uh, he plays jams from local bands and artists, very talented human beings that you have a chance to catch live right here in the ATX. Who are we jamming right now, Patrick? This is the Black Heart Saints. They are playing Saturday night free show down at Moon Tower Saloon. Ooh, free 99. That is the best price you can get. Uh, I like that. 512 Friday. Thanks to my man. I like that, that the way that song started, too, though. Yeah, the, the Black Heart Saints are really, really good. Yeah, they're yeah. they're up and coming. They're on a lot of rock charts across the country, so they're doing a lot of big stuff. But doing a little uh, doing a little show at Moon Tower Saloon, free show. That's Get cool. out there and uh, hang not, out with the people. That's not far from the crib either. That actually, is not far from the crib. Um, and what's the name of that song again? That name of that song is Human Ecstasy. Human Ecstasy. Okay. The uh, X instead of the EX is just uh, AX. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, NBA free agency frenzy has begun. It has officially started. There's already news. Surprisingly, all these deals. <laughs> I mean, in, what, we're nine minutes in. All of these guys have yeah, nine clearly no negotiation beforehand. Did, any of them, so it, did, did all these deals drop like at 501? Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. They all came through. And now some of these are, a lot of these are re-signings too, which is, it's so a little in, bit in easier. Yeah, yeah. Bit you, anyway. can, you can have those in the works a little yeah. bit more. That's true. Uh, of course, the biggest one right now off the top is Draymond Green has agreed to a four-year $100 million contract with the Golden State Warriors. He'll be staying right where he is. Yes. Taking a pay cut, I believe he was around $35 million last year. Uh, he'll be making roughly $25 million over the next four. So they're running it back. So they're going, they're going to go for it. Uh, he's back. staying, but he gets the more security that if he would have opted into that contract, who knows what the market would have been next year, especially if the season does not go well for them. Yep. Uh, this year, uh, some other big news, uh, other bigger news, Kyle Kuzma staying with the Washington Wizards. Okay. Uh, he will stay there. Torian Prince is going to go to the Los Angeles Lakers. That is uh, the one that was released, or didn't his player option was not picked up by t- uh, Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. He was a name a lot of teams were looking at. He is going to end up uh, in in LA, so they're going to get a guy that they wanted to go after. Drew okay. Eubanks, former Spur, is going to be a two-year deal in Phoenix. So someone else that you know they can add somebody else to that roster. You got to hey, add some they, some smaller names there. They they need all the space they can get, man. They really do. Um, so the uh, Draymond Green uh, signing once again. So all the discussion, the hubbub, much ado about nothing. I think any of that was actually substantive. The reports that he. Because other teams reportedly were interested in Draymond Green. Was he ever interested in them? Or would he always want to stay in Golden State? No, I think he wanted to stay in Golden State, but he wants to drive up the price like anybody okay. does. But he so did. the so question he... was, is they were going to lowball him and say, well, we'll give you two years at 20 a year. And so there's no security in that. There's no You're taking a pay cut and not getting years. I think he just wanted the years more than anything else. And they did. he did get a pay cut. He got cut. four years. But he got four he years. He got his years. He, won. he got his so years. So if you say it's yeah. a two-year deal and then he has to sign another contract and they let him go then, I think he's much happier with this. Uh, yeah, Portland was not going to be able to really do this either. Sacramento maybe, but they signed Harrison Barnes, so that kind of takes that away. So it's Houston maybe if you're going to go get paid. There wasn't a lot of teams you could work at to go get paid more, get a pay raise, mm-hmm. and I think that's where it goes to. All right, I'll take his old pay cut, but I want security. Yeah. Uh, yeah, interesting stuff there. All right, so I'm sure there'll be some other news dropping with NBA free agency officially starting. We'll keep you Ooh, updated. Denver Nuggets re-signing Deon- uh, DeAndre Jordan. That guy is still in the league. I didn't even know he was still in the league. Yeah, no, because he got his ring finally. 
with yeah. the Nuggets. I knew he got his ring, but yeah, no, apparently he's still going to be on the Nuggets. Okay. I guess they liked him. <laughs> Whatever he did, it worked there with the Nuggets. Uh, all right, so we'll give you some more updates on the NBA free agency frenzy uh, that is starting right now. 512-337-3776. That's the number to the Specs text line. You also hit us up via Twitter. Um, my man Patrick at It's Patrick Davis. I'm at Rod Babers in the Twitterverse. All right, some uh, Longhorn football discussion here. Uh, so first, CDC in response to the NCAA's memo regarding NIL state laws and their their hope, I guess you should say, but their guidance, their guidance is, is asking and uh, I, I was, they, they don't really have a way to compel teams to do this or programs to do this, but they are asking teams and programs to abide by NCAA rules and guidelines rather than observing the state laws. Uh, that's the the gist of their memo. And they did point out that there are going to be several state laws that are going to take effect very soon. One here in Texas, by the way, um, July 1st, that are going to be in direct conflict with the NCAA rules. And they warn programs against following those laws um, rather than following the NCAA rules. So in response to that, CDC sent out this notice to his donors. Um, Quote, as we continue to navigate this new era of college athletics and the importance of name, image, and likeness, we wanted to provide an update to recent announcements. Uh, Governor Abbott recently signed HB 2804, a bill that enhances our ability to better support our student-athletes in the ever-evolving world of name, image, and likeness. One important component of this new state law is that it allows for current Longhorn Foundation donors to receive loyalty points for contributions made to the Texas One Fund after July 1st, 2023. However, the NCAA issued an NIL policy update on June 27th that state schools must adhere to NCAA legislation or policy when it conflicts with permissive state laws. The policy update prohibits some of what is permissive in HB 2804, as well as many other state-specific NIL bills. We are currently assessing all information to determine how Texas Athletics will will navigate the conflicting aspects of NCAA NIL policy in HB 2804. So, um, but the belief is that CDC being very careful in you know, the wording here and how Texas wants to approach it. The belief is that since Texas is doing so well, the University of Texas, I mean, doing so well in NIL, um, that they won't risk um, a challenge from the NCAA by allowing the Texas One Fund to um, give out loyalty points for donations. So they won't be in violation of the NCAA rules, even though the state law would allow them to do so to keep the peace, to go along and get along. Um, The belief is that Texas is doing damn good right now. Open Door says Texas is the number one NIL program in America right now. They've been they've been tracking NIL compensation, fundraising, uh, transactions through collectives and directives. For the last two years since NIL became the law of the land, and they say Texas is right now the NIL capital of major college sports. Will it stay that way? I'm not sure, but it's an arms race, and right now Texas is one of the leaders, and um, that Texas may not decide to follow the state law in this specific respect um, uh, and, and may decide that you know they want to, or at least they're going to allow um, another school potentially, maybe A&M. 
uh, just kind of gets to where the Aggies are. Maybe they'll be the first one to I don't know, decide to step on the toes of the NCAA here uh, and be dismissive of their rules. Uh, remember, Ross Bjork, the AD for A&M, said, quote, the state law is going to govern how we do business in terms of this. The state law will reign. And that's how we'll move forward. So maybe they'll test the NCAA on it. And we don't know. Obviously, CDC did not publicly take a stance. But the belief is that CDC may decide to pass on this specific advantage um, from the NIL law in Texas, since Texas is already doing pretty well. But if they wanted to, Texas could also decide to give their donors points um, based for giving to the NIL in, to the school's NIL collective, I should say. So we'll see. We don't know how it's going to Right now it's um, going to end up being kind of a face-off between NCAA and some school because Texas, the state, isn't the only state with these types of very progressive NIL laws, and there will be another state with another institution that will probably try to, you know, um, follow the, the the state laws over and prioritize laws over the rules. And then the NCAA will be forced to act. What is that action when they do act? We have no idea. Right now they're a flashlight cop. And the belief is they're going to continue to be a flashlight cop until some school becomes brazen um, and decides to totally dismiss NCAA rules altogether in favor of state laws. And we don't know exactly what the fallout will be from that. Yeah, and, and I know for texters who are texting in saying that and you're comparing it to other leagues, the difference is people care about what the NFL says because the NFL will come down on teams and the NBA will come down on people. The NCAA has not come down on anybody in a very long time. Uh, they don't yes. seem to really want to wield any power other than monetarily. They have not made an effort to really enforce any of their rules. So that's why people are more likely to challenge them on some things is because they know that they're limp-wristed. They yep. got nothing coming out. And so if we know, hey, man, we know that everybody's breaking the rules. We know they are. It is blatantly obvious. Certain certain millionaires have basically come out and said, I will pay you player and do this. What are you going to do, NCAA? And then NCAA says, well, nothing, because you're very rich. And so I, I, I get that there is – it is, in theory, you can't break the rules of the organization – but a lot of these teams are kind of getting together now and saying, what are you going to do about it? And so that's why it is more of an interesting thing because Texas, especially once they get to the SEC, is a big power in when they're talking about trying to make something go to a program or create a new system of the college football playoffs or create something of that that basically takes out the NCAA. Yeah, it's at this point – uh, the NCAA seems toothless because they've punted on a lot of serious issues like COVID, like NIL, let that be a state's law things. And right recently, the transfer portal, people are still waiting to see if the NCAA will be a little bit more restrictive on the transfer portal. So far, uh, they've been very hands off and guys have been and athletes have been able to transfer almost at will. Um, whenever they want to multiple times. There used to be a lot of restrictions on the transfer portal. Post-COVID, there are not, and really because the NCAA has been uh, tied up in litigation, which they cannot afford any more litigation, and they don't want to go to court anymore. Even Nick Saban said that the NCAA actually fears uh, going to court because the courts don't like the NCAA. 
uh, the Supreme Court, some of their decisions and concurrent opinions have is pretty much stated that the they believe that the business model of the NCAA violates antitrust laws. And if they keep coming back there. Yeah, they, they're going to get the hammer um, from the court system. And I think lower courts have also kind of taken uh, their um, really their stance and direction from the Supreme Court on the NCAA. So I don't know if they want a lot of these uh, cases, issues settled in the court system and in litigation, which it ultimately will be. Inevitably, it has to be. Uh, otherwise, where are she going to settle this kind of stuff? So what does the NCAA decide to do if A&M, like Ross, Ross Bjork said, if they decide, hey, state law is what, what governs us, we don't care about the NCAA rules. We shall see. NCAA says if you don't like our rules, then get out. Like, you don't need to separate yourselves from this organization, which also could end up being the future, but that's decades in the future. Uh, federal legislation for NIO also decades in the future as well. So that's not coming anytime soon either. It looks like, you know, for the time being, um, this will be the law of the land and, um, the states will continue to change the laws to make them advantageous to the institutions within the state. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> and a lot of the same boosters and donors who are boosters and donors of the institutions within the state, they are also contributors to campaigns. And those same contributors to campaigns are contributing to the campaigns of some politicians who are also helping to enact and change the laws. So it's it's one of those things where yeah, it's getting very, very political. And I think before it's all said and done, um, it may end up being settled by politics. I think some people are hoping that is the case anyway. All right. So uh, that's the latest from uh, Texas in regards to the NIL memo that was sent out by the NCAA. Let's get to a couple of stories here. I wanted to get to Texas' most indispensable players. We will do that next segment in Raj Rant of the Day since I think it might take a little bit longer. And I think it's an interesting conversation. So we'll get to that coming up uh, next segment. Uh, right here, I want to get to this uh, report from, there are a couple of reports. Athlon Sports has one in CBS Sports. CBS Sports has what they call the their strength of schedule um, breakdown and analysis of the Big 12. So they're doing the Big 12 teams and uh, who has the toughest schedules. They claim, based on their uh, research, that Texas has the second toughest schedule per CBS Sports in the Big 12 in 2023. Second toughest. Uh, they have uh, West Virginia with the, I guess, the toughest strength of schedule uh, in the Big 12. Uh, Iowa State's third, K-State fourth, Tech fifth, Kansas six, TCU seven, Baylor eight, BYU nine, U of H 10, UCF 11, uh, Cincinnati 12, 13 Oklahoma State. Uh, and they got Oklahoma with a pretty easy schedule uh, this year. Uh, they got Oklahoma with the easiest schedule, I should say, uh, in the Big 12. And, uh, and, and when I look at it for Texas schedule, I'll say this. I do think Texas schedule should – I know that Bama game probably puts it up there really high. as so one of the tougher games. But, man, you're only out of the state. You only play out of the state twice. Right? You got that Iowa State game. You basically got to go out of state for that one. Uh, that's your, you know, kind of your big out-of-state game, uh, and you got the Bama game. That's basically it. Yeah. Like, that's, like er- everything else is pretty much in the state. To me, I don't know, that's relatively easy. Now, now, now I, say, I shouldn't say easy, favorable. 
Don't mean favorable, easy. yes, yeah. And I don't want to like say that, easy because, yeah, yeah that's, that's cocky. Texas should not be cocky or arrogant, not considering what they've done or lack thereof. But I'll say it's favorable. Man, because all your, all your big, like I said, all, a lot of your big games are in favorable sites because at least they're in the state somehow. But that Iowa State game, that's a little concerning. And, uh, of course, the Bama game on the road. And Texas hasn't been great on the road. But I still think it's favorable. Uh, Athlon Sports had their trap game. Uh, they put out there what they think the trap games are for every team. Um, I was a little surprised what they thought the trap game was for Texas, but I guess it may make sense when you start breaking it down. They think Texas trap game, Athlon Sports does, is Kansas. They think the Jayhawks are going to be the trap game for Texas. And if you look at where the, the, the Kansas game is situated on the schedule, where it's uh, placed on the schedule, maybe that's what they're looking at. The fact that, uh, you know, if you look at where it is on the schedule, that it makes it a trap game for Texas because it's, a, you know, it's kind of squeezed in there. Maybe it gets hidden. Um, but man, I, if I would pick a trap game for Texas, maybe it wouldn't be Kansas for me. It would probably be Iowa State. Iowa State is on the road and slammed between TCU and Texas Tech, I believe, is for Texas. To me, that may be that, – that, that worries me a little bit more than the Kansas. I think they'll be ready for Kansas. And I think Kansas also has um, – they don't have a defense yet. It's just going to be – you know, they, they, have, they got one phase that that's elite for them. And I love Jalen Daniels. I think he's a really good player. He was a front runner for the Heisman last season before he got hurt. Um, but that game, Kansas sandwiched between Baylor and Oklahoma. Now, it's right before Oklahoma, so maybe that's it. They figure right before Oklahoma, Texas will be distracted. It is at home, but it's right before OU. So it's possible. And they got a bye week right after Oklahoma. So maybe it's like uh, Texas is pre- preparing for Oklahoma even in that Kansas week. Yeah, you would hope. That could be something. You would hope it. in year three if Sark's coaching that he would be able to keep his team focused for a game uh, that has gotten other coaches fired. Yeah, you don't yeah, you don't want to mess with that. So, I I just say that would <laughs> No, I I, 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 I I if you look at the last what 5 years, Texas almost they've lost to Kansas and almost lost to Kansas yeah. a few times. Right? Yeah. That's scary. Well, maybe don't I mean, sick maybe go back to 7 years, should go back to Charlie Strong, so all the way back to, what, 2016? So seven years. But still, I mean, you've lost to Kansas and almost lost to Kansas uh, a couple of times, twice in that time span. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's because Kansas has found a way to beat Texas. We'd like to, we'd like to forget about that and not discuss it. Just suppress it into the subconscious. Uh, but if I, So maybe Kansas is on there. I would also throw – okay, two, I, I'd throw Iowa State on there too. You're at the end of the season – Given it depends on where you are in the Big 12 race at that time. We don't know how good TCU is going to be. And then you got that Tech game at the end. And a lot of people think Tech's going to be pretty good this year. Who knows? Um, and I think there's a, a chance to get distracted. And I think Matt Campbell's a decent coach, even though he has lost a little bit of his luster. Uh, probably stayed at Iowa State a little too long. But Iowa State's been recruiting the best that their program has ever recruited during the Brock Purdy, Charlie Kolar, Brees Hall years. That was their those are their biggest recruiting years ever. So for Iowa State, they're, they've got the cupboard pretty for for Iowa State. It's for Iowa State. For them it is. And the Will McDonald, like those, those were years they, they developed a lot of those guys into NFL players and that's helped them recruit some more high-caliber players. What can, you know, what can Matt Campbell do with them? 
That's the question. Uh, okay, we come back. We'll talk Texas football. We'll continue this discussion. I want to talk about the most indispensable players for the Longhorns on offense and defense. I'll give you my top three on offense and defense. Uh, we'll discuss that. And it may not be the the order in which uh, you have uh, your most indispensable players. We'll get into that right here on Ball Don't Lie, 1049 I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite. And start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's no. rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to uh, Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. Time to get back to some uh, Texas football conversation. So I saw my man um, Chip Brown over at Horns 24-7. He spoke with... An anonymous coach uh, in the Big 12, actually. And I believe the uh, the purpose of the discussion was talking about the most indispensable players for, for Texas. Um, and, a, you know, he wrote that a coach weighed in on the most indispensable players. It's a former Big 12 coach, so not a current Big 12 coach, a former uh, Big 12 coach. Um, and uh, I'll give you the list here really quickly, then I'll give you my list. Um, but the list here <clears throat> for the players that uh, – the, the anonymous coach, former Big 12 coach listed. Uh, number one, he's got transfer safety Jalen Catiline as one of the most indispensable players on, on defense. He's got Jalen Ford in that conversation, and he's got uh, Jade Barron. Um, what he said about the safety Jalen Catalan, for those of us who know just how special Catalan is, He's back to full strength and playing like he was three years ago in Arkansas. Uh, that kid can solve a lot of Texas defensive issues from last year. I'm not kidding. If you were going to nitpick Texas defense last year, there were some breakdowns in communication between the safety and the corner or between the safety and the nickel that allowed for some big plays that really hurt them. And he's right about that. We can get to some detail about that, but he's right. There were some... Uh, small communications breakdowns. I just think they were playing a lot of pattern match cover four, which is kind of a zone that deteriorates into a man coverage. And at times there were route combinations that would confuse the uh, the coverage progression. All right, it confused the uh, the coverage for them and their responsibilities, and so some of the young guys would get mixed up. Hopefully, more experienced this year, that's not the case. Uh, he also said Jalen Ford. I think we all know why Jalen Ford's on the list. He said in another year or two, you'll have uh, Leona LaFowle, Anthony Hill capable of playing the middle at a high level, but they're not ready to play at the level Jalen Ford played last year. Um, Ford figured out how important the preparation is last season. You could see how he knew exactly where and how deep he needed to drop against teams to come up with with those four interceptions. Uh, then he has Jade Barron on there as well. Uh, he says, I love the way Barron plays. He plays fast, also instinctive, physical, with so much confidence. He just makes so many plays that opposing teams behind the chains uh, put them in bad spots. And he's right about that, too. I, I broke this down yesterday about Jade Barron. And we were talking about the Texas secondary. He does have great instincts, but more so than having great instincts, he trusts his instincts. And you can tell he also watches a lot of film and he trusts his film study. So when he sees a key or a clue uh, that can confirm what he's seen on his film study or what he's basically been coached to do, what's in the game plan, he has no doubts or second thoughts about it. He acts immediately. And it's great. He will be the subject of some double moves. 
and hitching goes and uh, screening goes, and I guarantee teams are going to use that against him. He's so aggressive um, and so effective in, in his aggression that teams are going to use that as a you know a disadvantage for him. Um, he was the only Big 12 defensive back last season to have multiple games with double-digit total tackles and multiple tackles for loss. He was also the only Power 5 DB to do so in at least three games. He, man, his wide, wide receiver screens don't even work against him. So I can see teams trying to attack uh, or at least use that aggression against him. And I think next year you'll see teams try to put some double moves on him. But I, I do. I think he's just a really good instinctual DB. And as long as he's in good position leverage-wise, then they still won't be able to burn him on a ton of those double moves. But when you're aggressive, see Trevor and Diggs with the Cowboys. The way to use aggression against ADB is with the, the double moves. And nobody had more double moves ran on him two years ago than Trevon Dix. And that would be the case. I think J.D. Barron, just the film, tells you, all right, we got to try to uh, make him less aggressive, get him on his heels a little bit, um, because that guy is a missile, <laughs> uh, especially when, uh, around the line of scrimmage. Okay, so here's, here's my indispensable players on defense. We're talking defense really quickly. I'll, go, I'll start with J.D. Barron, and here's why, because – you got to figure out who your field corner is. Right now, you don't know who it is. It could be Gavin Holmes, who you brought in from Wake Forest. Could be Terrence Brooks, who they are hoping can take his game to the next level. I really like Terrence Brooks as a player, and he showed a lot in the bowl game and made some big plays. I think they were trying to transition him in slowly. The reason he, today Barron, is so important is because if Terrence Brooks cannot take ownership of that field corner spot, if he can't do it, then you got to move Jaday Barron out there potentially, or at least situationally, game plan wise, team to team. If you got a team that puts their best receiver out there, um, out wide a lot of times instead of in the slot, you may have to move Jaday Barron around, and you know maybe find another resource to play the nickel. Now I think nickel is still probably the most important position that a defender can play in the Big Twelve. Because the Big 12 is just a really versatile offensive league. So you need a nickel that is instinctive enough to know how to blitz. They got to know how to drop in zone. Got to play man. Play man against uh, receivers with a two-way go. Sometimes play against tight ends who got bigger frames on them, who's got leverage on them. Uh, you also got to be able to fit the run really well because you're basically run support uh, in the box. You just got to be an all-around great football player. And Jade Barron is that. Remember last year when they struggled to uh, find an answer when uh, it was Ryan Watts went down. Remember Ryan Watts went down for a little while, and they were struggling to find an answer at corner. Jade Barron went to corner uh, at that field corner while they figured things out. So he can, and I believe he actually asked to go to field corner during one of the games too. So that would be the question, and that's why he's valuable because he's locked down the nickel spot, no question. But if you can't figure out field corner, which is still a competition right now, he goes to field corner. And remember, you got three safeties now. Going back to the anonymous Big 12 coach, he likes Jalen Catalan. You have three safeties you believe can be starters. Remember all spring they kept talking about Keaton Crawford, how they love them some Keaton Crawford. Well, Jaron Thompson is your senior statesman in that secondary, if you will. And then you got – Jalen Catalan, who's got an NFL skill set, if he can stay healthy, that's one of the better safeties in the country. I would probably try to keep him out of the box as much as I can because he gets injured and gets nicked up. I try to keep him in, you know, in the, you know, as a center fielder. I try to keep him deep as much as I can so he can avoid being in the box and avoid potential injuries early on in the season, try to limit his wear and tear. But that's three safeties right there in Texas. 
you know, you're in the, the conference right now where the three high safety defense was pioneered. It is the Achilles heel for one Steve Sarkeesian. So you can use a three safety defense if you move today Barron out there and you don't trust the second nickel as much. Maybe you trust your second safety more and you can play three safeties, which, by the way, would make sense. And in the NFL, Dan Quinn plays more three safety defenses, which are big nickel, big dimes. 40% of the time, more than any other team in the NFL. And there's a link to Sark and Dan Quinn. And Dan Quinn's, you know, been at a coaching clinic for Texas. So maybe you have some of that too. Uh, maybe Sark has actually thought about it. I did see them use a three high safety concept one time or like one game last year, I should say. And that was in a tech game. I can't really remember it in any of the other games. So that's why Jade Barron is really, really important. And like I said, he's instinctual. He's going to make some plays. I think he's going to be an all-Big 12 defender next year. Second, yeah, it is Jalen Ford. Jalen Ford is the most important player. I just started with Jade Barron because uh, Jalen Ford is unbelievable um, for you. I mean, there may not be a better coverage linebacker in, in the country, just numbers-wise. If you want to look at, like, pro football focus and uh, the different numbers and the analytics they throw out there, Jalen Ford – uh, his four interceptions as a senior, his four interceptions last season, I should say, led all FBS linebackers. And he tied for second in the Power Five with two fumble recoveries, and his three forced fumbles were also tied for sixth in college football. Man, he was just making plays all over the place. Hell, he won, Jalen Ford probably won you two games last year. I mean, just him alone, just plays that he made. Kansas State, hell, that Iowa State game, he made a big play there. I mean, he won you some games because he just made crucial plays in crucial moments. So Jalen Ford, no question, they're talking about the central nervous system of your defense, and he's the guy that makes your checks and audibles. He's the guy that really controls the traffic there. Uh, so, yeah, usually Texas, when they're strong right there at that central nervous system where he is your best player, that's usually when it's a it's usually foreshadowing of a good defense for them. Uh, the other player on defense I think is important, and maybe I'm just being biased here, I do think it's Ryan Watts at the boundary corner. Remember, they don't give him a lot of help at boundary corner. The, football at its core, at its most rudimentary level, it's just a numbers game, and you want to try to win the numbers battle. And Ryan Watts helps you win the numbers battle because at the boundary corner, they don't give him a ton of help, and they expect him to be able to isolate and reroute a wide receiver. Now, he's not as effective once he's downfield, but at the line of scrimmage, he is pretty effective. And by the time he gets done mangling some wide receiver at the line of scrimmage, the quarterback usually has to get through his progression, unless that wide receiver is late in the progression or he comes back to it. Shouldn't have time to do that with Texas getting pressure on the opposing quarterback. So when Ryan Watts went down last year, uh, you know, a couple of times that he did, uh, that defense really felt the significant loss of Ryan Watts because of how unique his responsibility is within the defense, and they don't give him a lot of help usually. He's on the boundary side, so he's got the sideline to help him, um, but there's not a ton of times where he's getting the help. If they're going to be in cover four or cover three and the formation is to the field, um, a lot of times that gets the attention, the shifts, and that gets the, the safety's going to roll coverage that way as opposed to, to toward Ryan Watts. Unless it's formation and boundary, which doesn't come a lot. A lot of teams don't do a ton of formation in the boundary, but you'll get it. Uh, my point is, so he is unique because he takes a lot of responsibility um, with kind of man-to-man coverage, even some shades of zero coverage, being by itself without a lot of help. All right, offensive side of the ball, there's no question the most indispensable player 
Um, and they they also uh, the coach who is named here, not named here, but who is uh, listed here by Chip Brown. He also brings up Kelvin Banks. Uh, there's no doubt Kelvin Banks is the most important, indispensable, indispensable piece on offense because you can't replace that kind of talent. As a true freshman, this guy faced four first-round draft picks from last season and allowed zero sacks. He allowed zero sacks to Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, Will McDonald, R. Felix, and Udike Uzoma. He only allowed four pressures when matched up against those guys and had zero penalties matched up against those four first-round picks. And the only subpar pro football focus grade that he had in any of those four games, uh, and this is past blocking grade going up against those four first-round drafted defense fans, was K-State where they had him with a 60 pass blocking grade. Otherwise, he's 80.8, 83.2, 81.9. I mean, he's a stud. Uh, there ain't no other way of putting it. And, and, and as a true freshman, to be that skilled as a true freshman is unbelievable. So you can't replace that. There's, not, there's no bias. There will be a drop, a, a tremendous drop-off for whoever is behind Kevin Banks. They are, they, are, they are loaded on the O-line, and they are stockpiling a ton of talent. Shout-out to the Pancake Factory. But he is elite. That's a, I mean, you're talking about a drop-off of like what the running back position is going to be like this year without a Bijan. I'm not saying that whoever's, whoever's going to play running back, Jonathan Brooks, is not going to be effective, but they won't be Bijan. I think we all agree. And that's kind of Kelvin Banks is in, in that kind of discussion. I mean, this guy's going to be a first-round pick. If he just stays on the pace that he's on right now, he could be trending toward being a top-10 pick if he, continue, if he just gets better. Every year. If he stays where he's at right now, he's a first-rounder, even as a true freshman. But if he gets better every year, there's no telling how good this dude's going to be. So yeah. Uh, the other player listed uh, among the indispensable players, and I agree with this one, is JT Sanders. You, there is no tight end on the roster right now that can give you even close to what JT Sanders can give you. Uh, I like Gunnar Helm, but there is a precipitous drop-off between tight end one and tight end two. And other than Brock Bowers, who is the best tight end in the country right now, um, there is no uh, tight end prospect that is right now considered to be a better tight end draftable prospect right now than JT Sanders. And if man, if J.T. Sanders has the year that I expect him to have, he should lead the 40 Acres as the most decorated, uh, not my decorated, the most prolific statistically. He should be the most prolific and the most, um, I would say, accomplished tight end in Texas football history, statistically wise. I'm talking about just stats. And it may even be other than that when it's all said and done. But think about it. This year, he had... 54, uh, he had 54 receptions. That's the most by a tight end uh, in a single season in program history. His 613 yards were second all-time in a single season. His five touchdowns were third all-time in a single season. He's already approaching some of the records. He's for most. If you need most receiving yards in a single season, 637 by a tight end at Texas. He was, a, you know, what, 20, <laughs> 24 yards away from that? Uh, if you look at most receiving yards in a single season, uh, most sorry, uh, most receiving yards in a single game for a tight end, 149. Maybe he can get that. Most receiving yards um, for uh, a tight end in a career is 1,367. 
He's already at 613. So all he needs is 700-something yards. He can get that. That's by David Thomas. Most receiving touchdowns in the career by a tight end, 15. He's got five, so I don't know if he'll get 10 this year. That's a lot for any, any player. Uh, most receiving touchdowns in a game, that's three by DJ Grant. Um, but my point is he should leave Texas as the most uh, statistically accomplished tight end uh, for Texas and for Sark, actually. He should be the most prolific tight end for Sark, too. He has that kind of ability. And last year, he had, 30, he had 32 receiving first downs and touchdowns combined. Only Michael Mayer, Don Kincaid, and Brock Bowers had more among FBS tight ends. Yeah. That cat, two of those guys are already in the league, and the other one is considered to be a top 10 draftable prospect at tight end. So he's in rarefied air. Uh, the other player they had listed was Jonathan Brooks. I disagree with that. I'll go with quarterback, but I will say quarterback, not the most indispensable position because, man, Malik Murphy, he's he's he, he's the guy that I think they have a lot of faith in. Knock on wood because hopefully we don't have to worry about that. But I think there's a lot of faith that if something happened to Quinn, um, there was an injury of some sort, or if he was underperforming, that that Malik Murphy could go in there and there would – there would not be a, a huge drop-off with Malik Murphy in there. Maybe we're wrong about that, and maybe that's just being overly optimistic. Um, but they say he's got the strongest arm. Uh, he stayed instead of leaving via the transfer portal to pursue NIL uh, deals that I'm sure would have been a lot, you know, uh, they probably would have been a lot better than the deals he got at Texas. Not saying he didn't get a good deal here at Texas, but it probably would have been a lot more lucrative him as a starting quarterback for a Power 5 team. But he chose to stay here at Texas because he likes the culture uh, and he likes the program, and I think he believes he's going to play. And let's be honest, going all the way back to 1998, we've had, what, only eight years, maybe something like that, where a Texas quarterback has played every, started and played and made it through every game. It, it's it's not a lot when you really think about it. We've actually, you've needed a second quarterback, backup quarterback, more often times than not. More times, twice as much as you've you know had a quarterback make it through an entire season unscathed. You will need Malik Murphy. We all know that. Uh, okay, we'll get back to NBA discussion. We've got NBA news to get to. Lots of breaking news. There's breaking news in Major League Baseball, too. Hey, Dallas got some big news coming out in NBA and MLB. Dallas is sizzling right now. All types of news coming out. We'll hit it on the other side. Right here, ball. Don't lie. I'm 104 the horn. Right here on 104. Now the horn. 512 Friday edition of Ball Don't Lie. That's when my man Patrick, the idealionaire, he takes jams and songs from very talented human beings, uh, bands, and artists that you have a chance to catch live right here in the ATX. Who are we jamming right now, Patrick? This is Dice Bits, and they're playing the 4th of July at uh, Mohawk. Ah, I like that. There you go. 4th of July concert. It's going to be a beautiful thing, especially uh, this long holiday that everybody's going to get to enjoy. Hopefully, uh, you get to enjoy a really long holiday for the 4th. If not, hope you just have a great 4th of July weekend. Uh, It'll be the last show before 
um, next week's 4th July show, we won't see you because we'll be off Monday and Tuesday and we won't see you until after the 4th July. So um, have, hope everybody out there is having a great 4th. All right. There are a lot, there's lots of news to get to. There's a ton of news to get to here. So uh, the latest, and I think Woj has a lot of this, so uh, give props to Woj. So I'm just on Woj's page uh, looking through some of this. Um, he is claiming that, uh, that big news, Chris Middleton has agreed on a new three-year deal with the Bucks, that he's going to sign with the Bucks. That is also done. And I'm looking, do we have confirmation on this Kyrie deal? Yes. All right. And it's done deal? It's a done deal. He's signing with Reported the Mavs? Reported by multiple uh, sources that he is re-signing with the Mavs. Okay. Uh, three years, $126 million, I believe is what it is. All right. Uh, so, And the player option in the third year, it's 42 a year, basically. Uh, he is getting paid. The, the thought was they may try and talk him down to 30, 35. He gets 42. He gets a lot of money. So, uh, uh, But it's done. It is. Uh, they do not have to worry about it. They can make all the rest of their plans. They want to try and go after anybody else. They now know where they sit. Uh, salary cap wise, which is big in when you're trying to compete, trying not to lose out on some of these guys. Uh, Kyrie's agent, uh, Shatilia Riley Irving, will become the first black woman to negotiate and complete an M- NBA contract. Yep. How about that one? Um, Kyrie's that trying, his, always trying to make history. Is that his? Is that his mom or any relation to him? Like who is? Like I don't know. I'm asking. Like it's I, I, I have no. With idea. the same last name. That's why I was asking. Yeah, I do not know. Okay, I, I, it could be. Could be a sister. It could be a could cousin. Be because it Lamar be... Jackson let his mom basically. His mom is basically I consider his agent, even though he negotiated yeah. his own deal. And I believe his mom ended up getting whatever his deal was. She got what the agent's fee was. It's a good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. I think she ended up getting. So it was like, mom, instead of me breaking you off, it's a piece of you know chunk of change. Why don't you up negotiate this contract and then we all win? So uh, I'm maybe that's somebody's related to him. Maybe not. Um, but either way, uh, it is a done deal. Yes, Sham Sharania uh, was the one to have it that Kyrie did agree to a three-year, hundred twenty-six million dollar contract. So they didn't even let him get to. Remember, it was being reported. Yeah, he didn't that, have those meetings. Yeah, he was gonna meet with Phoenix. Uh, they also he was gonna meet with Miami, Houston, the Lakers, the Clippers. And also, he was going to have some of these meetings in person and some of them remote. So are we to assume, Patrick, that the antics, or at least even putting it out there, that he was going to meet with these teams and create his own market? Did it work? Remember, Rose said he's going to create a market when yeah. there wasn't a market. Hey, look, this is the problem. Did, is did the it Mavs, work? The Mavs have basically been, for the last few years, super desperate. The fact they let Jalen Brunson go is still basically costing them that they, they could not lose another second-best player so they had to do it. It gives them a little less flexibility in what they wanted to be able to do. Bruce Brown was a the guy they wanted to look at for that full mid-level. He already signed away. Uh, Cam Johnson's already signed away. Karis LeVert's already signed away. So a lot of those guys you may have been trying to convince to come there already took deals. So at this point you go, well, we don't really need the full mid-level anymore. Then uh, we'll just try and get some other guys when we can. Uh, but, yeah, that that's – it's it's good for the Mavs. You had to get that done. You got it done. You now can try and work on the rest of the uh, the off season now. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 going to be interesting to see how they build the Mavs because a lot of people. And I want to say, I want to say, I know Harge was against it. Um, I don't remember how you felt about it, but it, it, when they initially made the deal, they thought, oh, this is going to be disastrous. It's not going to work out between Kyrie and Luka. Um, I think your big crit- criticism was, Patrick, that who's going to play defense for the Mavs? That was your big criticism. Yeah. Well, not the, that their offense wasn't going to work between the two and the chemistry wouldn't work, but that they wouldn't be able to play defense and they have a coach whose identity he wants to be defense. You trade away yeah. some of your best defensive players to get guys who don't play defense as much 
and you kept doing that over and over throughout the season, and it just seems like you're not on the same page. I'm also not the hugest Jason Kidd as a head coach fan. I've never seen that really work out great. I've seen it be a failure more than be great. And when you talk about, hey, they need to get this young guy and then develop him, they go, well, who has he developed? And that list isn't super long either. So uh, there, I think it was just one of those things where you're trying to build this team, and if you're going to get a guy like Jason Kidd, well, you need to at least have his vision of the team, or else you're you're really going to get a coach who now is trying to coach something that he's not even his style. Mm. It doesn't make any sense, but that's kind of what the Mavs do. It's, uh, it's kind of been their problem for a long time. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, so I was someone texted me and said that that's his stepmother. That it could be. I, uh, I do not Chantilia know. Irving. That uh, I, I don't. I, I don't know for sure, but that, I'm just saying. Like I, it just seems to me that's not just a coincidence, but it could be a coincidence. Um, but yeah, she did make history. But I think it's Kyrie's stepmother. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to speculate and be wrong. So I, don't I can want look to it either. up in the break. I, like, I don't want I, to I can either. try and look it up in the break. Somebody had a text and they were like, they, it was like stepmother. Uh, oh, and there's an article, heavy.com, that said this is stepmother. Okay, stepmother. Yes, that's what they're saying here. But there you go. Because someone says actual mom and some other stuff. But yeah, so stepmom. Anyway, getting back to it. Uh, so that's huge news. But that's not the only big news in Dallas right now. Uh, and this this uh, latest news might have uh, Dallas fans buzzing a little bit more than the Kyrie news because the Kyrie news, I think people thought that that was going to happen. At least that was a good chance that that was going to happen. Uh, it is being reported by the ticket in Dallas. And I believe now the Dallas Morning News is on it as well. And the Rangers are acquiring uh, lefty Aroldis Chapman from the Royals. Wow. That's a move. That That's is. a move. Well, now, you got to remember, this is the Chapman who stopped showing up at Yankees, okay. was basically got rid of out of New York because he just was not able. Very once, true. Once he kind of, you know, with a closer, once you lose it, it's hard to get it back. So okay. there's potential there. It is not the be-all, save-all, best reliever you're going to get, but it is, I don't think they had to give up a ton to get him, and you're getting a guy that maybe could be an elite guy. He has been in the past, but we'll see. I, it's a good. It is a. Uh, it, you saying it, it might look better on? I think it's. I think it's. If you did give up, if you did give up too much, then they it's didn't. a fine. It's, it's a fine move. They gave up Cole. Uh, Cole Ragans, right? Is that yeah? Him? They gave up some prospects. And I don't. I couldn't tell you what minor leaguer outfielder Ronnie Cabrera. I don't know if you. I don't. I don't know. Big I can look. Up, we can look Cabrera? up their uh, Roni, Roni, Roni Cabrera. Yeah, we maybe? can look up their where they're at the ranked in the prospects for okay. the, the Rangers. I've not looked that up yet because the news just broke. But that is they want bullpen help. They need bullpen help. That's yeah. a guy that could possibly do it. Uh, also, just breaking news: the Spurs have reached an agreement to bring back Trey Jones on a two-year, twenty million dollar deal. Great deal. <laughs> You're paying him a good amount of money right now, but also it's only two years. Gives you flexibility in the future. If he gets better, he gets a better deal. But you need to bring back a point guard. That is a guy uh, already in your system. So that is a solid pickup for the Spurs there to re-sign Trey Jones. All right. So we're just going to come back and hit breaking news then. Seems like it's enough. It'll be continued yeah, break. So going. we'll just uh, we'll continue to uh, break down the breaking news uh, right be- right in the midst of the NBA free agency frenzy that just started about an hour ago. All right. We come back. We'll get into that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The